ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. Welcome to Tech News Briefing. It's Friday, February 16th. I'm Alex Osola for The Wall Street Journal. Coming up on today's show, after a tough few years, the cybersecurity industry seems to be on the upswing. Several companies recently reported revenue that surpassed analyst expectations. We'll find out what's changed from WSJ cybersecurity reporter James Rundle. And then Google has launched Gemini, its most capable artificial intelligence system that it hopes will compete with OpenAI's ChatGPT. We'll hear a conversation with Eli Collins, vice president of product management at Google DeepMind, about what Gemini can do and how the company is accelerating its AI push. But first... Given the many headlines about cyber attacks over the past few years, you'd think that the cybersecurity industry was thriving. But in fact, cybersecurity vendors have tightened their belts, laid off staff, and downsized. Now, though, recent earnings from several companies indicate that the tide may be turning. WSJ cybersecurity reporter James Rundle joins me now with more. James, what has been going on in the world of cybersecurity over the past few years? Has the industry been growing or shrinking? A little bit of both. Over the last sort of five or six years, as cybercrime really exploded globally, uh, a lot of money flowed into the sector. A lot of companies went from the private markets to the public. A lot of them grew maybe too quickly, actually. And over the last couple of years, as the economic picture has been a little bit uncertain, they've retrenched a little bit. We've seen a lot of layoffs. We've seen companies pulling back a little bit geographically, in some cases shutting down entirely. But that problem really lies a lot with the customer base. Cybersecurity is generally a budget item that's pretty well protected and it tends to get cut last, but it hasn't been immune to some of the pressures that we've seen in companies. And so security chiefs have delayed projects, they've cut others back, and that's obviously affected the providers as well. But we're starting to see now that change for a lot of them. We've seen a lot of consolidation in the industry. Why is that? With a lot of money flowing into the industry comes a lot of people who want to get a piece of it. So you ended up with 30, 40 companies basically doing the same thing, providing the same products and the same service as a a natural consequence of free markets. You sift out the the winners and the losers from that. Some go down, some get absorbed into bigger rivals. But the the market has a way of kind of straightening itself out eventually. Revenue numbers just came out for some of the big cybersecurity companies, including Cloudflare, Checkpoint Software Technologies, and CyberArk Software. How'd they look? A number of public companies have released their results for the last quarter, and it's been pretty optimistic as a whole. A lot of them started to notice a trend in the last quarter where billings were up, sales were up, which has you know, been a relief to them, of course. And they're starting to see that hopefully security chiefs are getting their projects approved now by chief financial officers, by chief risk officers and everyone else, partly as a result of growing risk across the world generally, partly as a result of regulation. But they're saying that the tide is starting to turn a little bit for them. What's different about this moment that the cybersecurity industry would be having an optimistic outlook on its revenue? Quite frankly, there's a lot of instability geopolitically with the conflict in the Middle East, obviously with the ongoing war in Ukraine as well. But then there's also the advent of technology, which is making hackers' jobs a lot easier, such as artificial intelligence and generative AI. These things allow people with very little skill to launch attacks at scale with speed. What do the next few years look like for the cybersecurity industry? It's still slightly uncertain. We have seen some casualties of the economic environment over the last few years. Some fairly big-name companies have gone down. There's been a lot of consolidation with bigger companies buying up smaller ones, and that's likely to continue, analysts that I spoke to said. There is still a bit of uncertainty as to whether companies will be able to raise the same amount of money they have been in the past, which obviously affects the private markets and the IPO pipeline as well. 
But as a whole, cybersecurity is pretty resilient. To put it frankly, there's always going to be money for security. That was our cybersecurity reporter, James Rundle. Coming up, how could generative AI change how you book a vacation? That's after the break. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash codeassistant. IBM. Let's create. In December, Google launched Gemini, a new artificial intelligence system it says is more powerful than any currently on the market. But what does Gemini's future look like? And how are early adopters actually using this tech? Eli Collins, vice president of product management at Google DeepMind, spoke with WSJ reporter Miles Krupa about the company's accelerated AI push at the WSJ CIO Network Summit on February 13th. Here are highlights from their conversation. Thank you for joining me, Eli. Good to be here. You just announced a bunch of new products around Gemini, including a subscription version. I've noticed you like really leaning into the multimodal yeah. like part of this. What makes it so special, these multimodal capabilities? What can you do now that you couldn't really do previously? The world is multimodal. I think that's the most limited sense. You can do a lot with kind of text in and text out. But even just adding code, which a lot of people think as a modality, was huge. Coding is one of the top use cases. Image understanding and image generation has been very popular. We've added that to the app. But part of it is also just the, you know, if you think about the kind of concepts, when we learn concepts, we don't always learn them in a single modality. And so if you think about what you can learn from a video or a, uh, and a book or code, it's a lot of times intelligence comes from mixing those modalities. So it's not just being able to generate something in a modality, but you know, when you train the model, being having it uh, learn across modalities is quite powerful. That sounds all like very cool and abstract, but like, what's yep. an example of how a business would use that? So most businesses have a lot of assets across various modalities. So imagine like you're building a marketing campaign and you're doing sentiment analysis. That's an area where you might want to reason about both your concrete images or videos or media in conjunction with text. Or imagine you're a sports broadcaster and you've got a large video corpus and you say like, hey, show me the most interesting part of this video or show me when the quarterback, I think there was a game when the quarterback throws a touchdown in the second inning, which games were that? And then it can just say, oh, these are these three games. I mean, are you getting a sense yet what use cases you think will be like enduring? What use cases people will be willing to pay for years out? For Gemini, yeah, specifically? For, yeah, just for generative AI. It's still very early. I mean, I think that everyone is still supply and capacity constrained. We're very much like in the exploration phase in terms of figuring out the frontier and what works and what doesn't. Coding is an example where you have an early adopter, you know, software developers, easy use interface, a chatbot and a free product. And so it wasn't a surprise that coding popped out as one of the main use cases because it's a direct productivity boost. The monthly subscription price is quite reasonable, especially for people in that profession. So coding will endure. Yeah, coding for sure will endure. It will not just endure, I think it will evolve. Like, explain this part to me. I think there's a bug here. What is it? If you think about what it would mean to have like an intelligent agent in coding, you know, again, we're just kind of scratching the surface for what you could do for coding. Are there any things that you thought were promising, but we're not quite there yet? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that still doesn't work. If you think about BARD, we're integrated quite heavily in search. We annotate the, the links with search output. 
And it's really a change in paradigm. But think of the issue with like hallucinations, for example. We're not in a situation where you can just trust the model output, right? Where we're still grounding it on public information on the web. We're providing you links. You can almost think of it as like a research assistant. So rather than you going out and saying, oh, hey, I want to explore something. I'm going to go a bunch of links, open a bunch of tabs, and then synthesize it. The model does that for you. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to want to know what the source is information is for, and it might go there. And so it's more of like a change in the UX paradigm for some of those. If you think of like travel planning, for example, mm-hmm. which is one of the ways I use it, it's more of a change in like the user experience of travel planning. But at the end of the day, I'm still kind of interacting with the web. It's now I've got like an agent-centric user interface to it versus I'm the agent with a bunch of tabs clicking around. You could imagine a world where you can do a complete travel experience where it does all the research. You don't need the sources, books, flights for you, ask your feedback, proactively prompts you when your flight changes to rejigger things. I mean, you can imagine for just use travel planning as an example where we go beyond even well beyond where we are today. Sundar told me last year that if there's one thing that keeps him up at night, it is the chip situation. Does it keep you up at night too? It's certainly a constant. We were in such a regime where humans were expensive and machines were cheap, like in the kind of PC era. And so it's interesting to go back to this world now where like the machines are quite expensive. I wouldn't say the humans are cheap, but the machines are just the, the sheer amount of compute that goes into these. It's pretty wild. We've developed our own chips in-house, the, the tensor processing unit for years, for generations. We deploy it in our own data center. So we have many fewer constraints in terms of our pipeline of compute. Are you leaning more into that over time oh. versus GPUs and other sources? We're leaning into both. We're leaning into our own capacity quite heavily because we have a pretty insatiable appetite in terms of our products and then making them accessible. But also NVIDIA is a great partner of our, we use their chips uh, internally for some of our workloads and then they're a key part of, I think, any kind of cloud platform. What's your ambition for the next version of Gemini? We laid out the kind of vision of a multimodal foundational model back in December when we launched Gemini V1. And there are a lot of ways where you can just make, you can imagine better performance on the kind of dimensions that we outlined, like multimodal understanding and generation, all of the kind of various benchmarks. And so that's obviously been one area of focus. But the other is AGI is a big part of our mission. And so if you think about memory and planning and reasoning, and if you think about all of the capabilities, if these models are going to become part of systems that are effectively intelligent agents, then you can think of all of those capabilities that we'd start to need to develop as well, not just being better across the existing dimensions, but getting the models to do new things. Okay, I think we're at time. So thank you, Eli. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. That was WSJ reporter Miles Krupa and Eli Collins, Vice President of Product Management at Google DeepMind, speaking at the WSJ CIO Network Summit. And that's it for Tech News Briefing. Today's show was produced by Julie Chang. I'm your host, Alex Osala. Jessica Fenton and Michael Laval wrote our theme music. Our supervising producer is Catherine Millsop. Our development producer is Aisha Al-Muslim. Scott Salloway and Chris Zinsley are the deputy editors. And Falana Patterson is the Wall Street Journal's head of news audio. We'll be back this afternoon with our TNB Tech Minute. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise.